Hello, world. This is Codebreaker. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. There is a thing I do at parties that gets me in trouble. At a certain point in the evening, I can't help but communicate my disease. I find a screen and I start broadcasting the viral classics. The schadenfreude of Grape Lady. Ow, 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 oh, stop, oh, stop, oh, oh. The cuteness of Charlie Bit Me. Charlie Bit Me. And mm. that really hurt. The list goes on. I like turtles. But there are also viral videos that don't get played at parties. Some of them could be called good. Others show us things we hope to never see. Police brutality. Pain. On Codebreaker, we decipher our complicated feelings about technology by asking straightforward questions with a sense of humor, a sense of awe, and hey, sometimes a sense of dread. This season, we've got one question in mind, three little words. The answer isn't so simple. Um. Oh. Um. Evil? A little, maybe, yeah. Is it evil? We're asking this question about one kind of technology in every episode. Today, we're going to talk to the creators of one of the first viral videos, which almost ruined their business. Guys, you've got a big hit on your hands. That's going to cost $10,000. Hear from a woman who had to send the police to her former home following death threats. Here's her address so you can go kill her. And talk to a 16-year-old whose appearance in the background of a video made him understand his own identity. After I went viral, I was opened up to a whole new world. So, going viral. Is it evil? Hey, remember, there's a code in every one of our episodes, so listen closely. Because virality and, by extension, internet culture is ephemeral, it's a bit like Andy Dufresne's line in that movie, The Shawshank Redemption, the one where he's describing a saying about the Pacific Ocean. See, it has no memory. It has no memory. This can be good and it can be bad. For John Abood and Michael Colton, both are true. They are the creators of the website Modern Humorist. Founded in the year 2000, that website's claim to fame was giving rise to arguably one of the first videos to ever go super viral on the internet. It was video footage of Punchy the French Bulldog. Mike and I began creating web pranks in 1999. And based on the success of those web pranks, we thought there might be a company in this. And we got venture capital funding at the end of 99, early 2000. It was shortly before, like, the first internet bubble burst. Right. Hours before. Yeah, hours just, before just the dot-com crash. Uh, but we actually outlived. Our, our investors were going to go put in another round, and they went under. We lasted for about three years. Largely based on our own income after that first year. And, and keep in mind, this was in the day when the tools to publish things like WordPress, the tools to publish video like YouTube, weren't even glimmers in a 19-year-old's eye. So let's talk about the dog video. This being a startup, I brought my dog to the office every day. So, and your Pikachu doll. And Well, the, the <laughs> Pikachu... <laughs> what was the, that? That was a prop from another video we did? The, po- the first Pokemon movie was coming out. Yeah. So that sat on a shelf in the office and... Startup hours, I was there with my dog, 
many nights, and my dog kept barking at the Pikachu. So finally, in frustration, I took it down from the shelf, put it on the ground so that he could rip it up or whatever. But he didn't. And then you realized he was hitting on it. Well, he didn't. Yes. You he realized he was in love. He didn't rip it up. He just stared at it for like a full minute and then pounced. And that is the only thing before or since he ever humped. And I said to John, we, you know, let me, I'm going to make a little video about this. And, and so we, we should lay this out. The video is the dog humping the Pikachu doll. Yes. Ben, ben, ben that's ben, a very reductive way of ben. portraying Listen, this guys, video. I'm not trying to ben. simplify it. I'm not, you know, it's very deep and very, I just want to make sure Look, that the listeners understand what hi- we're talking about. It is a about. highly processed and produced piece of video. There's a yeah. beginning, middle, and end. It tells There's a story. But a person who doesn't truly appreciate thoughtful art might describe this as a minute-long video of a dog humping a stuffed animal. The most artistic, comedic, dog-humping video. You make this video, and how do you put it on the internet? Because that's a big question, right? We turn the crank. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so we should say this is uh, 2002. At this point, people are... You know, are hosting video on their own site, and that means they're paying for the bandwidth. It was a QuickTime file that lived on our server, so whenever anybody watched it, they were downloading the QuickTime file. There wasn't any streaming video. It started to be posted on message boards, really was what did it. Automotive message boards, uh, or maybe in different countries, Israel, Russia. It was globally designed. It was globally engineered. London, Paris, yeah. Tokyo. Anyone could understand LA. this dog humping video. We're right. being interviewed by Pitbull. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and it, so it, it went huge in the space of how long? Days, just a few days. And then we started getting concerned calls from our host, from our bandwidth provider. And he said, guys, guys, you've got a big hit on your hands. That's going to cost $10,000. It was this weird moment of like, we finally have a piece of content that everybody around the world is enjoying, but it's kind of bankrupting us. Did it? We, we found a way to survive. Harder. Yeah. We weren't much longer for this earth. Modern humans I mean, did how not. How do you feel about virality as, a, as a, a thing in the world? Ben, we live every day with no regrets. This yeah. video, this video specifically was, we wanted it to go viral. You know, a lot of viral videos are things that people regret and are embarrassed about, like the grape lady. But yeah, you know, this is still... I mean, when's the last time you heard from her? <laughs> this is... Uh, She's been in hiding ever since. This is still a thing we talk about. And uh, in fact, unfortunately, we had uh, occasion to repost it just a couple weeks ago. We lost Punchy to the great free-range kennel in the sky two weeks ago. Oh, man. And we reposted it on Facebook and Twitter and a lot of comments from people like, oh, one of the, the early viral videos. So, Was it the first? Oh, I don't... I, I wouldn't... Yes. <laughs> We invented it. But seriously. But seriously, he says. <laughs> but seriously. Guys, all this talk of dogs humping Pikachus. Now now it's time to get serious. Was it one of the first? This... 2002. You do the math. I mean, you guys were before Numenuma, so. <laughs> oh. I feel like. Definitely there's a, there's the a direct link. Numenuma. There's a direct link from Punchy to Numenuma, yep. I think. John Abood and Michael Colton Punchy. Rest in peace. Punchy will live on forever on the internet. In our hearts and on our routers. (laughs) 
So we went back in time. Now let's fast forward to just a few weeks ago, to the story of an idea from a tech company founder who got the attention she wanted and then some for her new app. It hit really fast and really furious. I was getting 100 emails a minute. Julia Cordray's app is called People. You may have heard of it because it went viral, but not because it made people laugh, because it made people angry. People, that's P-E-E-P-L-E, was billed as a Yelp, but for humans. Now Julia and her co-founder Nicole are trying to rebrand it. Why? Well, if you think the idea of rating a person like you might rate a restaurant is dicey, you are not alone. Nicole and I decided to start publicly talking about the app in um, mid-September, And so my very first segue into talking about the app publicly was with the Calgary Herald here in in Calgary, Alberta. And that created a whole media storm across Canada. And then we got a phone call from the Washington Post. And that created a whole new (laughs) media storm that, that, uh, you know, was quite different than the Canadian media storm. Tell me about it. So I, um, I was in San Francisco. I had just come back from uh, a quick trip back to Canada. And uh, so I was living in San Francisco, and I was on my own. And uh, it, it, frankly, it was a, it was a shock at, at how, how negative and how quick that got out of control. My phone, once, once my phone number went public, I was getting phone calls every 10 minutes, all day, every day, for seven days straight. Were you getting threatening phone calls? I mean, were you... Absolutely. Yeah, they... It was... Wow. Um, Yes, I was getting death threats, threatening phone calls. And and that's really shocking considering I hadn't even launched a product yet. On a Saturday, the first Saturday of the, the, the craziness, that's when the death threats happened. So that was, you know, when my colleague and I were sitting in front of our computers, we're on YouTube and we're reading some of the comments and literally the anonymous group, the anonymous hacking group, posted my home address and said, here's her address so you can go kill her. And, you know, that that was definitely a low. Here's her address so you can go kill her. Here's her address so you can go kill her. And What do you, what, what... (laughs) What did you do when you read that? I called the police. I called the police in Canada, and I called the police in San Francisco. Were you were you at a, a, a residence when you when you read that? Yeah. Did you yeah, leave the I residence? Was, no, no, I was not at the residence that they posted because I was living in San Francisco, and I I'm normally living in Canada in Calgary. So, what was even more terrifying is that address that was posted was my old address, okay? So I had sold that property in January to somebody else. And so I was concerned about the protection of the person who's currently living at the address that the world thinks is mine. So that was even more terrifying, was that somebody else could get hurt over complete stupidity. Is going viral good or bad? Going viral is is an experience and everyone will experience it differently for the business it was great for me personally it was probably at times not so great yeah at times definitely not fun 
All right, we haven't decided quite yet if it is truly good or evil. We will come back to that conversation in a moment. I guess the only evil aspect of it is when it's, you know, the content itself isn't inherently a good topic. Um, if you're in a business and you're getting good press and, and good videos and good marketing, yes, I believe it does help. I think it, it can be good or evil depending on how it's used. You know, when things go viral that are not so great, um, it's kind of depressing. But in the right situation, virality is, is a great thing. All right, so we don't know yet. But let's keep trying to decide if it's good or evil. Going viral may have a heavy price, but it also has worth. In the media world, where more eyeballs make more dollar signs, virality can be a big goal. On websites like BuzzFeed and Gawker, it's part of the company culture, the DNA. So much so that at Gawker-owned feminist website Jezebel, managing editor Aaron Ryan says they have a joke for going bad viral. It's like getting your internet, period. Um, because it is that, you know, it's something that's going to happen to you from time to time. If you're working on the internet, it's just a matter of time. Eventually it'll happen. Welcome to womanhood. It's not pleasant to have a bunch of people that I had never talked to in my life telling me that I should die. It just feels very... Um, feels very inescapable. Aaron had this inescapable feeling for maybe the first time after writing a rant for Jezebel a few years back. The blog post was about how taking photos of yourself and posting them online aren't actually empowering for women. The headline in typical new media fashion was brief and provocative. The headline was, selfies aren't empowering, they're a cry for help. Erin was headed to Washington, D.C. for the weekend with her boyfriend, and before she headed out from work, she looked at the big screen in the office that showed the most popular stories of the day. I saw it climb to the top, and I was like, wow, I guess this take is one that is resonating. And then I went to the comments, and they were all like, you are terrible. Like, they all just uh... were, were awful. And then Twitter started being awful my inbox was just full of people that were so mad at me for having an opinion that they didn't like. The examples of people that I overlooked are, are people that are transitioning, trans women, that are becoming women and they're, they're becoming more comfortable with their femininity. And okay. them having people like their selfies is something that's li like literally empowering for them. I, I should have given a couple lines to those things. It wasn't it wasn't a great weekend. That's pretty much all I remember from it is just I remember my boyfriend taking my phone away from me and putting it in his backpack and being like, you can't look at this right now. Like you're just going to be in the world where this isn't happening. Did that help? Uh, no, not really, because I kept sneaking my phone. Um, I think that once I was able to stop sticking the fork in the toaster over and over again, not looking really helped me. It strikes me that the viral analogy also works here. The only thing that f fixes it is time. Yeah. And also the part about like not wanting to be a carrier. <laughs> it's sort of, yeah, I guess you, you feel a little bit um, inoculated from it afterwards. Um, yeah. It was Probably a week and a half after it happened, I would get like rape threats and death threats. And at that point, I'd been working online to, long enough to know 
that most of those are just empty idiots just clowning around, you know, yeah. but it, those words still you see them and they're upsetting to see. So a lot of times I think that um, going viral online is a result or negative viral, I guess, yeah. um, is a result of a sort of ingrown desire for people to gang up on a common enemy, which is cool because that's, in theory, a pro-social behavior from our, you know, animal days. Right. Um, but when you're at the center of it, you never really forget how that feels. And when you see other people going through it, you don't feel as compelled to participate. So in a way, negative viral, going negative viral makes you behave better as a part of the mob. Yeah. I think it makes you a, a, <laughs> a better mob member. You're going to say something eventually that makes people mad, and you learn from that. You either learn that the people you made mad are idiots, or you learn that you should be more careful with the way that you say things, or you learn that you should turn Twitter off for three days the next time that happens. I'm Alex Chung, founder and CEO of Giphy. Most of the current GIFs that are going really popular are what you would think. It's One Direction. One Direction kills it every week. For some reason, that, that band just won't die. They're there every, every week. Cats are probably, of our top ten searches, cats are almost always number one or two. And so pretty much most of the important moments in GIF culture were based on cats. Cat fail is another popular term to search. And I think people like looking at cats because they're, they can treat them because they're jerks, right? People like to make fun of cats. People don't really like to just look at cute puppies all day. And cats you can just smirk at. And like you don't feel bad when a cat falls off like a chair or out the window. <laughs> but you do really feel, feel really bad when a dog does. Virality is not always a good thing, right? I mean, they call it viral because it's the flu and like killed Spanish flu killed like half the world population. The internet's a, a wild, wild west of things, and most of it is pretty uh, tame and like entertaining and culturally relevant. But there's a whole other section that's just dark and sad, and people like to see accidents, and and we just take all those down. Anytime we get a, a flag from someone that says, hey, this isn't cool, if it's anything questionable, we'll take it down. We just want funny cat gifts. As you just heard Giphy CEO Alex Chung point out, virality can amplify good or evil. A few minutes ago, Erin talked about how her post on selfies didn't take into account the experience of people who were trans. Although he doesn't like labels, Brendan Jordan identifies as gender fluid. And if you were on the internet in 2014, you might have seen Brendan doing some pretty amazing choreography behind a local newscaster at the scene of a mall opening in Las Vegas. The news people were there and I saw them and... I was like, oh, my God, I should go over there and try to get interviewed and maybe I can just get my little camera time, you know, because <laughs> who doesn't want a little bit of camera time in we the spotlight? Do. Yes. <laughs> so I just I saw that they were not interviewing people. So I was like, maybe I should just 
kind of linger in the background and see if I can get like in a shot or something. And then when we go home and watch the news later that night, we can like laugh about it and then forget about it and blah, 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 blah. So I was the first one standing in that area. Then more people came and then more people came and there was this humongous crowd surrounding the camera. And then so they just turned on the cameras. They did their little live thing and did my thing. Of course, I think you guys have probably seen it. And I mean, I never saw the actual news story on it because I think it was live at the time and they didn't replay it later that night. So I never got to see it that night. So I was like, oh, dang it, I'll never get to see that video again. (laughs) And then I went to sleep and it only took a day. Then one local news station after another started picking up, then went from locally to internationally. If you talk to his family, they say that Brendan has always been special. When he was in fifth grade, he asked his mom to hire him a talent agent. And since becoming a bit of a viral sensation, making a celebrity appearance at the VMAs, getting millions of views on his YouTube channel, they say they aren't totally surprised. That fame has also helped Brendan understand how he is different. After I kind of went viral, it opened me up to new things that I've never really heard about. And I learned a lot about myself and learned how I identify and kind of correlate that and put that with a name because I've always felt this way ever since I was probably three. I remember wanting to get into my mom's makeup and all of that. So tell me, how do you identify? Right now, I just don't really want to put labels on things, but people just want to label, want to label. So, So, you know, how I do feel inside, I guess, would correspond with the gender fluid label where I accept both he and she male and female pronouns because that's just something that I'm comfortable with at the time and that's how I feel right now (laughs) because I just like the limitless feeling of it. Has going viral helped you identify in this way or feel comfortable identifying in this way or has it become more challenging? Definitely along the lines of being more comfortable with how I identify with things because after I went viral, I was opened up to a whole new world. I literally stepped out of reality. What I'm experiencing is not necessarily normal for the normal 16-year-old. We all, you know, in high school, middle school, we all deal with, even in my regular life, people are mostly nice, but sometimes they're mean. Can you talk a little bit about that and how... Um, how you've dealt with that at school? Yeah, you know, I mean, school is such a different world than, I guess, my personal life, if that makes sense. Like, I kind of just try to separate those two as much as I can, like, try to not merge those two worlds together. And The so, online world and the school world? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, people do see the stuff I put out there, like, I know they all see it. I just try to not bring it up at school, and that's just my personal preference. So, I mean, of course it's hard because some boys, I just had, like, an experience the other week. Some boys were like, hey, do you want to borrow my makeup? And kind of just making fun of the fact that I wear makeup. What did you say to the boys? Oh, I was like, no, I don't want to buy your dollar store foundation or borrow your dollar store foundation. Of course, they probably wouldn't understand what that means, but (laughs) I did. (laughs) Do you think it's easier to deal with some of that treatment 
you know, because you have another world, which is this online world where you are someone who's gone viral and you have a community of people who appreciate you online? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I think that's why I do get by with the things that some people say is because, like, I know that I have a whole nother world waiting for me at home <laughs> with a whole, like, for every person that doesn't like me, there's, like, three more that probably do relate with me and accept me for who I am online. And I think that's why um, it's kind of like a, you know, a coping mechanism when I do feel down at school or whatever. Because there are days at school when I just come to my mom's car and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm just so upset. I feel like I'm constantly fighting. And, you know, I think that's why... Like, my online world is kind of just like a whole nother friend. <laughs> sure. Okay, we've consumed the viral content, we've shared it, we've heard about what works, what doesn't, and when it is time to just disconnect. Now we need to make a call. Here to help us is Amanda Hess, who writes a whole lot about internet culture at Slate Magazine. Hi, Amanda. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, Should thanks I not for say th- that. No, that's fine. Because it's like a podcast. Sorry. All right. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I say going viral, do you get like an anxious feeling in your stomach or do you smell the blood of your enemies? <laughs> Are those the only two responses? No, I mean, if you can do a third if you, if you have a different reaction. Definitely the first. Okay. It makes me anxious. Why does it make you anxious? I think. You know, most of the time when someone goes viral, it's usually not for something that's just, like, normal and good. Yeah. Something weird has happened. The idea of going viral is that something that used to be contained to a smaller group of people has now contaminated a much larger group of people. If you're a celebrity and you make an appearance at the VMAs or something and a lot of people watch it, you haven't gone viral because it was expected that a lot of people would watch that and talk about it. You know, if you're Channing Tatum, you have a human being who accompanies you on the red carpet to manage your social media presence. Lena Dunham now has a person like this who, like, absorbs all the negativity that Lena Dunham gets on Twitter, and they're hired to do these things. But if you are someone who that's, is that's only first known, of all, wait, well, first of all, that's crazy. <laughs> I know. Normal people don't have that. When I learned that Lena Dunham has someone who tweets for her, that made me realize that if a celebrity is paying someone to be on Twitter, like if a rich person will pay someone else to do it, it's probably not like <laughs> a totally fun thing to do. Oh, that's so true. Do you think that? Going viral has made Julia Cordray regret designing the app the way that she did. I think she tries to put a good face on it, but I feel like, I don't know. The most interesting thing to me about what she said was, going viral has been great for the app. And she didn't really say it, but she didn't have to. It's been, like, terrible for the people who made the app. Yeah. People, with two E's, like, doesn't have feelings. But the people who work, who build people, do... But we also have cat videos. Yeah. We have Charlie bit me. We have, you know, we have. <laughs> I actually think that Charlie bit my finger is slightly evil. I mean, I don't, I'm not sure that I care. Okay, so it's like, 
<laughs> it's like if you have a cat and you take a photo and you make your cat famous. Like, yeah. we all know cats. Like, the cat, like, probably doesn't want to be famous, but it ultimately doesn't care. But kids have no consent or knowledge that the this little interaction that they're having with their sibling is going to become famous. Yeah. I do think that there are sort of options for ethical consumption of internet celebrity. Like the Kardashians are really good at styling their output to go viral. And they're not people who, you know, just really wanted to be an actor. The Kardashians, like, only exist to have their pictures and their videos consumed on the internet. So I feel like that is, like, a fair trade version a viral celebrity. This is definitely the strangest thing I have heard today so far. The Kardashians are the fair trade version of virality on the internet. And with everyone else, I feel like, you know, their emotional labor is being exploited in some way that they couldn't predict or necessarily consent to. Mm. So is it evil? It sounds like I'm saying that it's evil. I guess it has very high potential for being evil. But, you know, I think hearing from someone who is, you know, not a child but a young adult, a teenager, who is, like, pretty comfortable with this, it might be that now people do understand what might happen if you post something extremely fabulous on the Internet. Maybe we're coming to a point where... There is more general understanding and implicit consent to what happens when you post something provocative or something like that. And maybe that's a little less evil. Yeah, I think you've turned it beautifully. And now I'm just going to go and, you know, try and make this episode as viral as possible. Please don't. No, no, wait. No, sorry. (laughs) I don't want to do that. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Make Um, it mildly popular. The problem is my my person is also Channing Tatum's person, so I have to split the time. <laughs> Amanda Hess writes about internet culture at Slate. Amanda, thank you so much for deciding that virality is evil with me. It was my pleasure. Next week on Codebreaker. It made me wish that I could go back to the days where... Facebook was just showing me things that I wanted to buy and not things that I wanted to run away from. By the way, if you want to access all of this season's episodes, you don't have to wait for them to come out. You do have to find the code embedded in this episode, though. Want to get started? Well, Marketplace wants to go viral just like anyone else, so we posted to our Instagram account. If the footage is found, so too will be the title of an instant classic. Once you get the code, you can input it at the website codebreaker.codes. Our show is produced by Claire Tennisketter, edited by Dave Shaw. Special thanks to Betsy Streisand. We are made in partnership with Tech Insider. Special thanks for Molly Molshine and Megan Willett at Tech Insider's help in creating this episode. You should go to techinsider.io, read, watch, and listen to their stories and ours. Just don't believe what they say about us. He was just snarling and snapping and barking at this stuffed animal. I'm Ben Brock Johnson. Codebreaker is a Marketplace production from APM.